Anyway, happy Resurrection Weekend, everybody. So good to see you in God's house. I want to welcome everybody that's tuning in at all of our locations. Of course, our online community, our new metaverse community. We are so glad that you have joined us and also our television audience. We are glad everybody is here to hear a word from Almighty God. Are you ready for the word? Amen. If you're not ready after that worship, you ain't never going to be ready. Amen. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will get it to you. If you have your Bible, take it on out. Let's hold it up to the Lord at all of our locations. Come on, even in the metaverse right now, hold it up. Uh, They don't have any arms in the metaverse. They're just armless and legless. Anyway, hold it up nice and high. Say it out loud with me. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, will hide his word in my heart so I can be all God has destined me to be. Amen and amen. Would you remain standing in honor of God's word? We are going to John's gospel, the 21st chapter. John chapter number 21. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number one. John chapter 21, verse number one. After these things, Jesus showed himself Again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. Seven of the twelve. I know Judas wasn't with them, but Matthias replaced Judas, but not at this point. So seven really of the eleven that were standing at this this time. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately they got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord! Exclamation point. Not, it is the Lord, but it is the Lord. Now you have to understand why this has got an exclamation point on it. Because they had watched him get crucified just a few short days ago. It is the Lord. This is the one who went to hell and back. It is the Lord. This is the one that was bolted to a cross. It is the Lord. This is the one that was put inside a tomb and a stone was rolled in front of it. It is the Lord. The risen Lord has appeared to them. Then over in Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 26 before you're seated, the text from which our subject title comes for this weekend, Matthew 19, verse 26. And Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. I want to preach to you this resurrection weekend from the subject with God, all things are possible. Notice I didn't say all things are possible. Don't get it twisted. All things 
are not possible. You ever hear people say that before? Everything's possible. Everything, whatever you set your heart on, it's possible. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not even a promise in the scripture. The Bible says, don't miss the first two words. With God, all things are possible. With God, your healing is possible. With God, your financial breakthrough is possible. With God, your marriage restoration is possible. With God, anything is possible. But if you leave the with God out of it, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for your anointing. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence that's already here. Speak to every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Fun fact, prior to 1854, tall buildings were extraordinarily uncommon, most five floors or less, and renting the top floor, which is where everybody kind of wants to be now, because nobody is underneath you, you don't hear anybody walking and stuff like that, you got a better view, but up until that point, renting the top floor was virtually impossible because nobody wanted to take the stairs. There was no such thing as skyscrapers, and cities all around the world look very different than they are today, but that all changed when a man by the name of Elijah Otis pulled off one of the greatest stunts in World's Fair history. He stood on the top of an elevator platform. He hoisted himself high enough so that everybody could see him and he had an axe man positioned near the rope that was holding the elevator on the top. By the way, that's how elevators stopped back in the day. They stopped when the rope got taut and it would just come to a screeching stop. Well, he called to the axe man. He said, cut the rope. And the man cut the rope and everybody went, <gasps> as the elevator began to plummet a few feet. But then suddenly it stopped and Elijah Otis got up. He said, it's okay, ladies and gentlemen, everything is okay. What happened? He invented the ele elevator brake. And because he invented the elevator brake, all major cities around the world changed. Construction began to change and skyscrapers came into being. Matter of fact, the elevator brake is what some have called the adjacent possible to the skyscraper. It was a term that was coined by a biologist by the name of Stuart Kaufman. What is the adjacent possible? It is the thing that makes something else possible. Because of the elevator break, the Empire State Building was possible. Because of the elevator break, the Freedom Towers became possible. Because of the elevator break, the Burj Khalifa became possible. That's the tallest building in all the world. Well, guess what? Do you know what the empty tomb is? It's the thing that made anything that is impossible in your life become possible. The day that Jesus walked out of the grave, impossible went out the window. Impossible lost its I am. No longer would any child of God have to say, I am stuck in this forever. No longer would any child of God have to say that I can't, I am never going to get over this. No longer would any child of God have to say, I am going to feel the ramifications of this for the rest of my life. Because the day that Jesus got up out of the tomb, impossible, lost its I am, and everything became possible. Can you say amen? With God, all things are possible. 
Luke chapter 1, verse number 37 says this, familiar scripture, very similar to the one that we just read in our opening hearing. For with God, nothing will be impossible. The original language of this text, and by the way, this is the text about his birth. His birth was announced with an impossible becoming possible and his Resurrection with an impossible becoming possible. The bookends of Jesus' life is anything that is impossible is now possible. But the original language of this is powerful. It actually says not with God, uh, nothing will be impossible, but it is impossible for God to do nothing. Check that out. Let that sink. It is impossible for God to do nothing. This was a text about his birth. God saw mankind in their fallen state. God saw mankind sentenced to hell for the rest of their existence. God saw people separated from him. How many of you know it is impossible for God to do nothing? When God looks at your situation, how many of you know it is impossible for God to do nothing? nothing. It is impossible for God to stand back and watch and do nothing. And so God is always ready to turn the impossible into the possible. Can you say amen? With God, nothing is impossible. All things are possible. As we come to our text, we find Peter and six of the other disciples on The day, I guess it was after or right on the resurrection, discovering this resurrection reality that with God, all things are possible. You know the background to the text, but let me give it to you. As we come to John chapter 21, we all know what's happened to Peter. Peter has told Jesus that even if everyone abandons him, he will not abandon him, that he would stick by him even unto death. How many of you know it's better to just show somebody what you'll do than tell somebody what you'll do? Talk is cheap, right? Everybody is big in the moment, but actions really take the cake, as they say. And so he said, I'll stick with you to death. There is no way, there is no circumstance, there is no conceivable situation that would ever befall me or that would cause me to fail to stand up for you, Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus turns himself in to be arrested allowing the Roman guard to kill him and crucify him. All of the other disciples run away, scatter in fear for their lives. Peter hangs out a little longer than most. He don't get credit for that. Everybody else bolted. Everybody else was like, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm not going to lose my... Peter at least followed from a distance. Peter had more faith than most of the other people, yet he's the only one that was getting the bad rap for having denied Jesus. And you know how it was. He's watching from a distance. He's watching as Jesus is being tortured, as he's being crucified. His world is being turned upside down before his eyes. His faith is becoming shattered with each blow that descends on the naked and marred body of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and friend. What's going on inside Peter's mind, we will never understand. And that's why, so you ever get around people who pretend to understand what you're going through? Only people that can really understand what you're going through is somebody who's been there. 
The people you need to find when you're going through something is somebody who's been there and overcome what you're going through. Because those are the people that can speak life into your situation. We can only imagine what is going through Peter's heart and mind. He's crumbling as he beholds his world crashing down. And as he's watching from a distance, you know the story. He is asked by a complete stranger if he's with Jesus. Peter's first reply, I don't even know. I don't even know. He buys himself a little time. He doesn't realize that the stranger is persistent. She circles back and she says, hmm, are you, are you sure you don't know him? I, I think I've seen you hanging around him before. And Peter a little bit more adamantly this time says, I told you that I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. It buys him a little bit more time. But he continues to watch and the, the heat continues to get turned up. And it continues to get more and more difficult. And so she comes back a third time. How many of you know the enemy is persistent? The enemy is persistent. That's why you need to be consistent. Because as you are consistent, you will overcome the enemy's persistence in your life. And and, the enemy sends the girl back again. Are you sure? And what does Peter do? Peter drops a few F-bombs to convince her that he has nothing to do with Jesus. Because anybody that walks with Jesus don't drop no F-bombs. He curses. He swears. He convinces her he wasn't with Jesus. He denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And the third time, before the rooster crows, remember Jesus said, you will deny me three times. He remembers that word, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He denies Christ, fearing what would have happened to him if he stood up for Jesus. Don't look at Peter in that tone of voice. We all have done it. If I stand up for Jesus, if I say what I really believe in the moment... If, if I speak out against a culture that's gone crazy, if, if I'm having a conversation with all my friends and they're acting like this biblical belief is the strangest thing that they've ever heard and I share my opinion, I don't know if I'm comfortable doing that. So what do we do? We pull what Peter pulled. We may not verbally deny Christ, but we stay quiet enough. Why? Because we don't want anybody to know that where we, that we actually have a biblical point of view. And so what does Peter do as he's watching? He's fearing for his life. He's, he denies Christ not once, not twice, but three times. He is now overwhelmed by what he has done. By the way, never underestimate what's happening on the inside of somebody that makes a mistake. Even somebody who is a blatant sinner, never estimate what is happening on the inside because I want you to know that God loves every person that sins and even people that sin blatantly and God through the power of the Holy Ghost is talking to their heart and Peter goes away and what does he do? He weeps bitterly, weeps bitterly as his world has been turned upside down and as he's weeping he is hearing and by the way this word for weeping literally means to mourn somebody like they're dead weeping but it's not just just regular kind of it's bitter weeping it's coming from his gut he is he is he is disappointed in himself and he is hearing the crow of condemnation that the enemy throws on us whenever we decide to walk in the opposite direction as jesus would have us to 
And he's hearing that crow. You will never recover from this. This will mark you and stay with you for the rest of your life. Your life is over. You are weak. You are unworthy. This is how you'll always be. The crow of condemnation. The devil's got the same broken record. He plays it for every single one of us. Same thing you hear is the same thing I hear. You might hear it over a different set of circumstances or situations, but we all hear it because he's only got one broken record. And so Peter is feeling the weight of shame. But even in Peter's seemingly impossible state, Jesus was intent on bringing the possibility back to Peter. So much so that the first thing that the angel who appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary on that first resurrection morning says, you remember it? Mark chapter 16, verse number 6. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter. Peter was on Jesus' mind the moment he got up from the grave. He had just gone to hell and back. He had just been through three days that nobody else could make it through. But during all of his suffering, what does he do? He has Peter on his mind. Most people think that when Peter and Jesus locked eyes with one another as Peter betrayed Jesus, that that look was a look of regret and disappointment and how could you? But that look was a look of of love. It was, don't worry, Peter, I prayed for you. Don't worry, Peter, I prophesied that after you deny me, you would come back again. That look was a look that said, when I get up, Peter, I'm going to restore you. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Second Timothy chapter number two, verse number 13 says, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. I don't know who I'm talking to, but God told me to tell somebody who feels like you are in an impossible situation. You're on God's mind. Don't you dare forget you're on God's mind. It is impossible for God to do nothing. While you are fretting about the situation, God is being faithful to you in every situation. And God is not planning for you to go further down. God is planning for you to rise up just like Jesus did. And so Jesus and the disciples and Peter all gather around and Jesus in our text is about ready to teach them about the power of the possible because of the resurrection. Four resurrection realities that are made possible because he got up. Number one, no ways become ways. No ways become ways. Have you ever had a no way situation? No way that's going to happen. No way that's ever going to change. No way I'm ever going to get a breakthrough. No way I'm ever going to get out of this. No ways become ways. John chapter 21, verse number 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going fishing with you also. They went out and immediately got in the boat. And that night, guess what they caught? Nothing. Peter's back to fishing. Following it becoming difficult to follow Jesus, Peter returned to the familiar. Fishing was his comfort food. Anybody ever run to comfort food? 
when times get difficult, everybody has come for food. It may not be food. It may be fishing. It may not be food. It may be a habit. It may not be food. It may be a vice. But when times got difficult, Peter ran to his comfort food. He's back to fishing. And in one fell swoop, the devil has knocked him back to doing what he was doing before he even met Jesus. Come on, somebody, don't go back. Come on, somebody, don't go back. Come on, somebody, don't go back. Hang on. You're on Jesus' mind. It is impossible for God to do nothing. Remember when you're hurting, just like Peter, Jesus is thinking about you. But here's my point. They fished all night and they caught nothing. The two times in the Bible, we know Peter fished a whole lot, but there are two times where we actually get a get a chance to peer into the story. And both those times we see Peter fishing, guess what he catches? Nothing. The two times Peter tried it without Jesus, guess what he caught? Nothing. Why? Because the text doesn't say all things are possible. Otherwise, Peter would have caught them fish on his own. But it says with God, all things are possible. And so they have just experienced a no way kind of night. They just experienced a situation that said, we ain't going to catch any fish right now. There's no way we're ever going to get a nibble. We tried all night and caught nothing. No way. We might as well pack it in right now. No way we should push out again. No way anything is going to change. But in the middle of their no way, guess what? Here comes Jesus. In the middle of your no way, guess what? Here comes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. How many of you know without Jesus, you're not on the right side? Without Jesus, you're not on the right side. Cast your net on the right side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast. And now they were able to draw it in because we're not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. They were down for the count. But here comes Jesus. They had a bad night. But here comes Jesus. They had a weeping kind of night. But here comes Jesus with his joy. They had a no way kind of night. But here comes the way maker, the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness. Here comes Jesus. In John's gospel, Jesus gives seven I am's. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the vine. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. But he also says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So every time you have a no way, guess when Jesus enters in, what your no way becomes. You lose the no, and it becomes a way. Why? Because he'll put a road in your ocean. He'll make a river in the desert. He'll turn a situation around that has no business being resurrected in your life. He is that way maker in your life. The reason why every no way has become a way is because Jesus got up. The resurrection turns no ways into ways. But the second possibility because of the resurrection is failures are not final. Once they catch the boat sinking, net breaking amount of fish, 153 in all if you read the rest of the story. It gives us the number 153 fish in all. John says to Peter, Pete, that's Jesus. That is the Lord. Pete jumps in the water. We won't talk about the fact that it says that he was naked and had to clothe himself. We won't talk about none of that kind of stuff. It doesn't really mean what it says. 
And she said, doesn't really mean what it appears to say. It means what it says, but not what it appears to say. Pete jumps in the water. He forsakes the catch of 153 fish. Now, you need to understand what 153 fish mean to a fisherman. Watch this, watch this. It's a boatload of money. Come on, man. That was so good right there. That was just free extra. He's got this boatload of money, 153 fish. I mean, he's going to eat good that week, that month, maybe even that year. But when he finds out it's Jesus, he forsakes the fish and he jumps in the water, proving that at least at that moment in time, he'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. He'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. He'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. Rather be true to his holy name. At least in that moment, Pete was suddenly back in love with Jesus. He comes up out of the water, he steps on the shore, and Jesus has got the fish filleted, skinned, cleaned, gutted, and on the fire. Come on, somebody. How many of you know when you forsake something for Jesus, Jesus has always got better for you. If Peter would have hauled in those fish, he would have had to clean them. He would have had to gut them. He would have got his hands dirty. But when he came up on shore, because you can never forsake something that Jesus won't give you back better. If you put God first, wait to see what Jesus will do in your life. He comes up on the shore. And I don't know, but something seems to be going on. First thing he does is he, he brings him back to the moment when he first called him. The moment when he started in the ministry. When he was fishing before he knew Jesus. He didn't know he was the Lord at that time. He fished all night. He caught nothing. And Jesus, who was a complete stranger to him, called out from the shore. He said, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat. They did. Jesus did sank the boats, needed friend boats to come on. How many of you know you ought to be so blessed that you ought to need friends to handle the blessing in your life? See, some of you don't don't really have a, a gospel view of blessed. Your gospel view of blessed is only blessed for you. That's not a gospel view of blessed. You ought to be so blessed that you need other people to deal with the kind of blessing that you got in your life. And when he started out, Jesus said, let me start out by showing you right out the gate what kind of God I am. I'm a God who is not just enough. I'm a God who is more than enough. I want to put more in your boat than unless you get other people around you to help you with the blessing. It'll sink everything. And so he takes him back to where it starts. Casting it on the right side of the boat. But then he gets up out of the water and Jesus has the fish on a very specific kind of fire. Scripture says a, a charcoal fire. Do you know there's only... Two times in scripture that the phrase charcoal fire is used. Once when he started and once when the enemy tried to stop him. Because it says that Peter was warming his hands as he was watching Jesus get crucified on a charcoal fire. 
And so two times, once when he started and once when the enemy tried to stop him, do we find a charcoal fire? What is going on in the text? Guess what Jesus is doing with Peter? He said, Pete, let's run it back. Pete, let's start this thing over. Let's have a redo. I'm not the God of just a second chance because you might need more than one mess up to get back on your feet. I'm the God of another chance. What was he saying? saying, Pete, failure is not final. If we got to start at the beginning and reestablish everything that you've lost, we can do it again. Failure is not final because of the resurrection. You can begin again. Matter of fact, did you know how many fish he caught? 153. I love numbers. I can't help myself. I'm an accountant by trade. I like to play with numbers. It's good to be good with numbers. 153 fish. 153 is the sum of 76 and 77. It's the sum of a lot of two numbers. You can pick any two you want. 76 and 77. But 76 is the number in Hebrew Simon. Watch out. 77 is ichthys, which is the little Christian symbol of fish. I think, I mean, why a hundred? Come on. You know God was in charge of the number of fish he caught. Why did he give him 152? Why did he give him 154? Why did he give him 153? Because he wanted to know, Simon, I still called you to be a fisher of men. You haven't lost your calling because of the mistake that you made. Failure is not final because of the resurrection. And so he asked Peter three times. Peter, do you love me? We know why. To erase the three times he denied him. Three affirmations to erase three abdications. Three declarations of his love to erase three denials. And by the way, this is not the first time after the resurrection that Jesus appeared to Peter. In our opening text, it said, Peter, uh, Jesus appeared to Peter and the disciples again. How many of y'all know what the word again means? It means that something's happened before that looks just like it. Matter of fact, guess how many times this time is the time that Peter gets an appearance from Jesus. It's not the first. It's not the second. But guess what it is? It is the the third. Guess why? Three resurrections to cancel three rejections so that Peter would know failure is not final because of the resurrection. Listen to me, church. If he did it for Peter, he will do it for us on the cross. He canceled the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He nailed it to the cross, taking it out of the way. You are not what you used to be. Your sin is no longer held against you when you are in Christ. Why? Because of the resurrection. Failure is not final. But then possibility number three. I love this one. Because of the resurrection, triggers become testimonies. (laughs) Y'all know what a trigger is, right? I walk in the kitchen, I see chocolate chip cookies, it's a trigger. I'm going back. It's a trigger. Some of y'all hear a song, it's a trigger. Some some of y'all have somebody act a certain kind of way. Somebody gets loud, it's a trigger. Somebody gets mean, it's a trigger. We all have Triggers and the, the devil thought he was slick. By tempting Peter to deny Christ, guess when? At dawn. The time when roosters crow because Peter lived in an area packed 
with roosters. His game was to get Peter forever stuck in shame. So that every day for the rest of Peter's life, when the sun started coming up, he would hear a rooster crow and all of a sudden he would hear the voice of condemnation and it would be a trigger that would keep Peter stuck in his pain, the pain of his past forever. That's what the enemy wants for every single person. He wants to keep you stuck in the pain of your past forever. And so oftentimes your pain is linked to a trigger. The devil thought he was slick. But guess when Jesus showed up on the shore to meet Peter? (laughs) See, y'all thought that God just arbitrarily blesses. But but how many of you know there is a time appointed for your blessing? And it's not because God doesn't want to give it to you today. Or God doesn't want to give it to you when you want it. But God wants to time your blessing so that when he releases the blessing, he destroys everything that tried to break you before the blessing came. And so guess what he does? He shows up at dawn. At dawn he shows up. Look what the scripture says. By the way, guess when Jesus sunk the boat with 153 fish? Dawn. Appeared the third time, dawn, declared his destiny or Peter's destiny over his life, dawn. Guess when he led Peter's lips to affirm him three times, dawn. John chapter 21, verse number four in the NLT says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. The disciples couldn't see him, couldn't see who it was, and he called out. Listen, listen, he called out at dawn. He called out at dawn. Guess who else was trying to call out at dawn? The devil with the voice of condemnation. But how many of you know, anytime you hear the voice of condemnation, there is also another voice crying in the darkness. There is another voice crying in the wilderness. There is another voice crying in your pain. It is the voice of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus called out at dawn. Why? So every time dawn happened, every time a rooster crowed, Peter was no longer triggered to remember the day that he denied Jesus. But now he was triggered to remember that's the day Jesus set me free. That's the day Jesus restored me. And so that trigger became a testimony. I wish I had somebody. I can see Peter now. You didn't want to be married to Peter. Why? Every time that rooster crowed, he wake his wife up. Can I just tell you about something? I remember when Jesus delivered me. Matter of fact, if he had a sleepover, if some of the disciples came over at dawn, the, when the rooster crowed, he woke all the disciples up. John, come on, get up. Come on here. Uh, Nathaniel, get up. Thomas, get up. You need to hear this, especially Thomas, because you doubted. Thomas, that's the day he delivered me because of the resurrection. Your trigger becomes your testimony. And lastly, the fourth possibility because of the resurrection. Sin is not the end of the story. Sin is not the end of the story. Satan's plan was to leave Peter in sin. The sin of denial and the shame that goes along with it. But because of the resurrection, Peter became the guest preacher on the day of Pentecost. And so instead of Peter staying in sin, God used Peter to bring on one day 3,000 people 
out of sin. I don't know about you, but I've never experienced 3,000 people in one altar call come to Jesus. I've experienced 1,000 in one altar call. I used to be the guest preacher for Amway conventions. They were always trying to get me to come in and be an Amway consultant because they figured, you got a big congregation, you get this one in, you get this one in, you get this. I said, I'm not doing that stuff. Thank God if you're an Amway, I hope you make it big, and I hope you tithe on what you make, okay? So I'm not trying to give Amway a shot. But they would invite me to come in. And I said, I'll come in. And they'd say, well, on Saturday night, can you just do like a success motivational coaching thing? And I said, sure. They said, but on Sunday morning, you could do a part two. You could say whatever you want about the gospel. I said, fantastic. I'll do it. So I build it all up on Saturday night. I said, now I'm not going to give you the key. I'm not going to give you the key. I can't give you the key tonight if you want the key. You got to come back tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock sharp, you meet me here. I'm going to give you the key for how to prosper beyond your wildest dreams. They'd all come packed. Priest of gospel, give an altar call. A thousand people at one time. Come forward, give their life to Jesus. But imagine 3,000. 3,000 people in one day out of the lips of somebody who was supposed to be stuck in sin. All of a sudden, God uses him to deliver 3,000 people in a day from sin. Sin was not the end of Peter's story. Though many received Christ as Savior through Peter's preaching, there were also Pharisees and religious leaders there. And they were cut to the heart by the message that Peter preached. Because Peter... You know, Peter had a little, had a little fight in him. So when he was preaching, he looked at all the Pharisees who were, who were, who were listening like this. By the way, watch out if you listen like this. He looked at them. He said, he said, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom y'all crucified. He pointed right at them. You know, we live in a day and age. Don't, don't, don't call nothing out now. You might offend somebody. Don't, don't call nothing out now. You're going to run people away. Win some by fear. Win some by love. You got to be led of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes you got to call something out. Sometimes you got to because you know what? God through the Holy Spirit will take that and arrest the heart of people. Now you have to be led by the Holy Spirit, right? You can't be all that and none of this, right? Grace and truth coupled together is the most powerful form of conviction that arrests the hearts of people. But Peter called them out in the middle of a crowd. And so they determined that night, we're going to kill you, Peter. And sure enough, history tells us that Peter became a martyr for Christ. But Peter wasn't surprised. Because after him and Jesus had the fish, after he had his sin canceled, Jesus looked at him and listened to what he said. John 21, verse number 19. Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death that he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. You remember what Peter said when he first promised Jesus that he would never leave him nor forsake him? He said, he said, even if I have to die, I'll stand by your side. And he couldn't do it. But now Peter's been changed. Now Peter's been restored. Now Peter's love for God has gone to a whole nother level. And guess what happens? Jesus looks at him and Jesus says, you know what, Peter? You're going to have to die for me. 
And you know what Peter does? It's a full circle moment for Peter because Peter preached and preached and preached and preached. And at the end of Peter's life, he was killed for Christ. But Peter got to a place where I believe every Christian, man, woman, boy, and girl needs to get to where you are at the point where no tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not peril, not sword, not principalities, not powers, not things present, not things to come, not height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Not even life or death can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Peter preached and he knew he was going to die. Full circle moment. Sin wasn't the end for Peter. And neither was death. Nobody wants to die, but when you're a child of God, you don't need to be afraid to die. Precious is the death of his saints in God's eyes and sight. It only gets better after you die. It doesn't get worse. Amen. Sin was supposed to be the end of our story. Sin was supposed to be our demise. It was supposed to separate us from the love of God for all of eternity. And the truth be told, although full payment for sin was made on the cross when Jesus yelled, it is finished. If the grave would have kept him, sin would have really still reigned. But sin and its payment on the cross was not the final chapter of God's grand story of loss, love, and redemption. There was and there is an epilogue. It's the resurrection. Listen to these words. As the sun set on the third day upon the Judean hills, although guards stood vigilant at their post outside the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, unseen by human eyes, another stood by as well. It was death himself keeping watch over the body of the Nazarene. Death dare not delegate his task to an underling. This one was too dangerous and had already in life robbed death on more than one occasion. And so death had to make sure this one would not elude its grasp. All seemed quiet. But then the prophetic voice of David began to sing. Thou will not leave my holy one soul in hell. You will not suffer me to see corruption. Suddenly the earth trembled to its center and the angel of God descended and the guards collapsed in terror at his appearing. His countenance is like lightning. His robe was a blinding white. Muscular arms rolled back the stone from its doorway as if it was a child's toy made of paper. And the son of God rose from his bed. But death stood in between him and the open door. The sun was moving forward and death was moving backward. Suddenly Jesus leaped toward death. Death attempted to flee out of the tomb's doorway. But before it could escape, Jesus reached toward him. He snatched something from death's gnarled hand that had been belted to its side. He raised it up to heaven and he proclaimed, Father, these are the keys to death hell and the grave and sin is no longer the end of the story because of the resurrection sin is not the end but you have to choose for it not to be the end 
It's not automatic. You must accept Jesus Christ as full payment for your sin. So that sin is not the end for you. If you die in your sin, I'm not being fresh, I'm just being truthful. You go to hell. There's two eternal destinations. Heaven, hell. There's no in-between place. That was made up by weak preachers who didn't want to talk about hell. Give people a pass. Oh, if you're good. When you die, you go to the in-between place and then people can pray you out. It's not in the Bible. Not even there one time. There's something better in the Bible. When you die, you can go immediately to heaven. Isn't that better? I don't want to go to no in-between place. Don't give me a second best. I live my whole life for Jesus. I don't want no second best. I want first best. Right? When you die, you can go right into the presence of Almighty God. The Apostle Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, didn't he? What do you have to do to put your faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ? Would you stand to your feet with me? This is one of those holy moments. It's a moment where eternity stands at your doorstep. You might be 15 and eternity is at your doorstep right now. 25 at your doorstep. 50 at your doorstep. 80, everybody knows it's at your doorstep. stands there and it says seal it so that when you leave the earth you know where you'll spend eternity today if you don't know if you're right with God if you don't know if you were to die this moment or this second where you'd spend eternity today God brought you here those of you watching online you're listening because God loves you those of you that have your oculuses on right now in the metaverse you thought you were just kind of cruising along through the channels. God brought you here. On television, God stopped you right here because God wants to save your soul. If you don't know that you're right with God, but today you want to be made right with him with no one looking around, if that's you, I want to pray for you. Just lift your hand up. Pastor, today I want to give my life to Jesus. Come on, put it up right quick. Don't waste time in any way. Nice and high. Amen. Jesus. One more time, not because we want hands, but because we want people to be saved. If you don't know if you're right with God, today is your day. All you have to do is surrender to him. I want to pray with you. Is there anybody that's in this room right now that wants to give their life to Jesus that doesn't know him? Hallelujah. I know that there are people who are watching who are responding to God right now. It happens every week. And so for the benefit of anybody who's watching at our locations online, on television, let's pray right now. If that's you, say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, today I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me. And I make Jesus the Lord of my life. I receive him as my resurrected Savior. And I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a little button on your screen. Click it. And one of us will reach out to you and help you in your journey with the Lord. Isn't it amazing that church has gone to the place now where we have people clicking a hand online instead of being in the seat? We want to encourage you that if you live close by, come on out to the house of God.